Just start by standing with me. We are here to celebrate, celebrate Jesus. Because in this world, it's really, really messed up, isn't it? (laughs) And we have such great reason to look up and not focus on the temporal things, but to focus on what's important and to focus on the kingdom of God. And sometimes we have to remember some of our foundations, and that is that Jesus loves us. We just celebrated his birth. And um, what a remarkable thing that God came to earth as a baby, as a man, to be our example, to not just forgive us from sin, but to send his Holy Spirit after his resurrection and fill us so that we too can overcome sin. Praise God. He loves us that much. So we're going to sing a song this morning that I'm sure all of you know. Either you learned it when you were little or you've been teaching your own children. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. affirm that and sing that again. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Now let's give him our love. My Jesus, I love thee. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For And per- 
purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. this a prayer from your heart. This is my desire. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you.
Let's sing it. This is my desire. This is my desire. Yeah, sing it. To honor you. Let them hear it. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Lord, we worship you. Lord, we worship you now. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. It's in you, Lord. Let's give him your heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my Jesus. Jesus, there is something about that name. He is Master, Savior, Jesus, Almighty God, our Father. Jesus came to tell us about that name, God, our Father. And let's sing about that. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after Let's sing it again. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after 
will all pass away but there's something about that name yes there's something about that name lord there is something about your name and we know what it is all-powerful almighty god we thank you thank you that you have called us to be your children we love you. Now speak to us through your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Man, you guys look better every week. You really do. Yeah. I don't care what the world says about you. I think you're okay. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. My name's Jesse, and uh, part of the pastoral team here. I want to welcome you. If you are new, uh, and if you haven't yet filled out on our Connect card in the bulletin when you walked in, please fill that out so we can... Uh, get to know you, uh, have you sign up for our newsletter, and, and uh, you find out all the great things that we're doing during the week. <clears throat> and then if you're online and you're watching, wel- welcome. Love uh, having you join us uh, online. And if you want to sign up for that stuff, you can at our website at sbctruckee.com as well. So we'd love to have you guys there. Uh, and then uh, before we get in the Word, uh, we're going to be in First Timothy chapter 5 this morning. Uh, so go ahead and get ready and turn there. And I'm going to mention a couple things, announce a couple things. One of them uh, is a woman's Bible study uh, that we have upcoming. So Shelly's going to share with you a little bit about that. Shelly, why don't you come on up and introduce uh, yourself to everyone. And Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm Shelly, and I'm here. Is it on now? It's on now. Um, I'm here for Laura Osnes. She would love to invite all you ladies to come join us at Bible study. Uh, she just finished up Exodus. And um, in Exodus, we studied the book of the law. So it's really great to be going into Hebrews because Hebrews is all about how Jesus is better. The law was good, but Jesus is so much better. Um, The book of Hebrews is written to a first century Christian believers that were under a lot of persecution, and they were feeling um, really discouraged, so discouraged that they were ready to give up. And it's filled with words like better, best, great, greater, more, because all of those are to describe Jesus. And um, isn't that what we need? We need better. We need better than this world that we're living in. We need better than um, any kind of hope we'd have here on this earth. So if you want to be encouraged, if you want to have your eyes turned to Jesus, come join us. We start this Tuesday over in Ray Hall from 9.30 to 11. You can get your book in the back. Child care is provided. And we're in the upstairs over there. So, yeah, come join. Thank you. You're welcome. So, uh, Laura didn't give the announcement because on Friday she just had her brand new baby. So, yeah, really good. She's got some uh, of her parents here. So, congratulations. Yeah, pretty neat, pretty special. Uh, I get to talk about that a little bit here, uh, too. We also have on um, Thursdays a prayer and worship time. I want to encourage you to. Uh, come and partake in that if you want to join us. All kinds of other different little things happening. One thing that uh, I'll mention uh, that's worth celebrating is we actually support uh, Travis and Amber down in Mexico. They run a ministry called So Ministries, which stands for Serving Orphans and Widows. Uh, and if you don't know, one of the things they've been doing, they've been partnering with a bunch of orphanages in Baja and supporting those orphanages which has been a huge thing during COVID, obviously. And then uh, they found out after being in Mexico for several years 
that there was a huge gap in children being taken care of between the ages of zero and three. Uh, just because of the way the laws are written, it's a lot harder to do. Uh, and so many of the locals just simply don't do it. And so many of these kids fall through the cracks. Travis has been trained in what it, uh, you know, child development and things like that. And um, there are quite a few studies that show if you can get a child between the ages of zero and three, you're going to have a higher success rate in their development and success as a child. So they purchased land in Mexico, which we helped them do, uh, and they put their house on it, and they just broke ground to build their first baby house to start bringing in kids. So I think it's pretty neat. Uh, In our newsletter, you'll see some uh, a video of them. They've got some pictures and video of the ground uh, being all torn up, which is pretty neat. And then one of the things I think is really neat uh, that's been happening behind the scenes is, you know, obviously many of you have come and, and you're here, and we're so thankful for that. And then we're thankful that many of you are still tuning in online. And one of the things that's happened uh, since we've gone online is that some of our, our folks uh, are a little bit more technically challenged and impaired. Uh, and so what we have done, actually what Brad Knoll has done, and, and I, I know he probably doesn't want me necessarily to share this because more of you will probably ask for help, but he's been doing house visits and visiting those people at home to help them figure out their internet and the sound. And, you know, because when you put up YouTube on your TV, there's like, you know, there's the control on your computer, there's the control on YouTube, and, and you know, where's the sound? Well, how come the sound's not coming through? And you got to have, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Or you're all technically challenged, and that's why you're here. Um, <laughs> but if you are home, and that's you, but, you know, Brad's been helping out, and, and uh, we don't want to, you know, bur- overburden him, but I'm just thankful that Brad's been willing to step up and serve our people that are at home to make sure they tune in uh, and to make sure that they're connected well. So thank you, Brad, for doing a great job. <clears throat> okay. First um, Timothy chapter 5. If you're at home, I uh, want you to join with us. And if you're here, you know, again, we just, man, we love the word. Would you stand with me if you're able to this morning as we read from First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1? Remember now, Paul is encouraging Timothy. Uh, things have been hard for him as a young pastor. Uh, he is uh, doing his best to uh, rebuke those who are teaching false doctrine. Paul is speaking to him like a father uh, to a son, and he is just really trying to encourage Timothy to keep doing ministry well. And he's sharing with Timothy in a weird time. This is what the church is. This is what the church isn't. And I shared in the first service, I'll share with you, this book has been so encouraging to me in this season. For, for me personally, uh, I have felt like I've been just sitting at the table with Paul, and Paul has been encouraging me as a young pastor, uh, hey, Jess, I know the world is weird and it's crazy, uh, but here's how you do church. I just feel like Paul's been ministering to me, and I pray that he has been to you. So now Paul says this, verse 1, chapter 5, do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father, a younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own households and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent, is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Lord, would you do a work amongst us as you have been faithful to do uh, in the last several months? Teach us, mold us, shape us, encourage us. 
Rebuke us, Lord, but more than anything, draw us near. And we trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so let me just say something because I know it's probably a little bit on the forefront of your mind. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you have noticed, but um, I guess there was a, a real big crazy thing that happened on the 6th of January, if you remember. And in a season like this, uh, it, it has been a, a season where many pastors and, and ministers and, and people in church um, have, have kind of been pressed upon to speak into such issues. Uh, as it was asked when President Trump was first elected as president uh, four years ago, a, a family in our church who was very democratic in their leaning wanted to know if we were going to do anything different uh, to basically rebuke that movement, if you will. I just want, again, to reiterate to you, uh, as the culture falls down around us, uh, and as political leaders become more ungodly, as the days grow darker, uh, be rest assured the mission of the church has not changed. Okay? <clears throat> we stand on the solid rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and on Sundays and during the week, it is not our job to speak into such political commentary. You can get a slew of that all over the place. It is our job to raise the resurrected Jesus Christ as our Savior and to preach his truth from the word of God. And we will not be pressured to speak into such things, but we will indeed rejoice in preaching that we serve the risen Jesus. Amen? So Paul, in this particular text, is now encouraging Timothy to be the family, that the church is in its foundation a family of God. That's really the title of the message this morning, the family of God. Scripture gives us actually quite a few different metaphors on what the church is, what we are. Right? And that's essentially what we've been doing during uh, this season in Timothy, defining uh, who we are, what our identity is, why we gather, why we worship, why we read, why we pray, why we preach the gospel. Uh, many of these examples include that we're a holy nation, that we're a kingdom, that we're a priesthood, that we're part of the vine, as we mentioned on Christmas Eve, that we are part of a temple, we're part of a body. Hebrews tells us we're an assembly, which is a gathering, that we're a flock, that he is our chief shepherd, and that means we have all these different things in common. But ultimately here, what Paul says in this text is that we are, uh, in essence, as a church, we're a family. Now, I don't know what your family life was like. Some of you probably grew up in good homes. Some of you maybe uh, had a background like myself. Uh, my mom had me when she was 17 years old. Uh, my biological father had encouraged my mom on several different occasions. Uh, he was and still is uh, an alcoholic. Uh, encouraged my mom on several occasions to uh, have an abortion, uh, to which my mom went through with. Uh, is a huge regret for her now as a, a born-again Christian. Um, and during my, m well, my mom's pregnancy with me in her womb, he, he asked her to also abort me. Uh, and my mom felt at that time that, no, this is, this, I got to keep this, 
this baby and this child. And so I came into the world, into a broken world with a biological father who didn't exist. And then around the age of two, a new man came into my life. His name was Dave. He became a stepfather to me. And that's kind of my family background. And for many years, Dave was a broken individual. My mom was a broken individual. And then at a certain point in time, my mom came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. My stepfather followed. I followed into that. And our life began to change. The reality is, is, is regardless of your physical life, your family life, the Bible says that in the church, you have a family. In fact, for many individuals, the church is the only family that some people have. And so it should be important. Let me just say by way of family that we are built, I think most of you know this, we're built for relationships. Uh, you know Pastor Wayne has written a book called The One Another Project, which is uh, uh, the whole slew of scriptures of which speak of our need to love one another, to forgive one another. And the reason we're so one another-esque is because we're made, quite literally, in the image of God. And we serve a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God has been in community with himself for eternity in fact, if you remember again in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it's the only time in all of creation where God says something is not good, and it's because of what? Man being alone. It's just not for marriage. It's isolation and solitude. Being removed from relationship brings brokenness. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us that he has a new commandment to give to his church. And that new commandment is that we would love one another. Now, that's not a new commandment until he says the following part, which is, as I have loved you, as I have loved you. He gives us an example of what it is like to care for the sick, to care for the broken, the bruised, the shattered, the abused. And he says, if you love one another, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. See, our love for one another is one of the ways in which the family of God proclaims the goodness of God in a broken world. Because ultimately in a broken world, because of Adam and Eve's sin, it separates us. And if you remember in the Genesis account when Adam and Eve partake of the apple and they sin against God, they are separated from God. They are separated from nature itself as they are kicked out of the garden and they are separated ultimately from each other. I mean, we know this, right? We know that, that ultimately, that ultimately, that, that we desire and want to be known and to know others and to be in relationship. At the same time, we know that sin fractures that. I came across an article our children's director sent me this week, and it had a quote from John MacArthur in it that just showed the heaviness and the weightiness of the current day and age we live. And this is what John MacArthur says in this particular article. America is an immoral freefall. You murder babies in the womb, and if they survive the womb, you try to seduce them into transgender sexual deviation when they're young. If they survive that, you corrupt them with a godless education. If they survive that, you have divorce in the family. And if they grow up to be adults, we drown them in a sea or of pornography. This is a nation that is so far down the sewer of immorality and wickedness that nothing surprises me. That is a depressing line. I mean, that's not something you wake up to and go, well, I'll start my day with this. <laughs> but it's a line that is the reality, the objectification of 
women, the downtroddenness of family. It is said that in the family that one out of four children grow up without a father. You can actually just Google what happens to someone who grows up without a father. If you just Google it, you will come across all kinds of secular articles, let alone Christian articles, of how many of the ails of the American culture are because they're just simply not good men in the home. In Ephesus, we're told that many people in Ephesus, in this particular church that Timothy was pastoring, some had abandoned truth. They exchanged teachers that itched to their ears that were entertaining. They got rid of godliness. Some, were told, made shipwreck of their faith. Men that were aspiring to be leaders who had no, no, no reason or qualification to be leaders were striving to be leaders. And some were teaching demonic doctrine outright. The, the breaking of the family. But what we have is we have a God that reconciles sinners into one family that we call the church. Amen? I mean, that reconciliation is a beautiful thing because, because God is the only one who can bring a group of people like us who are also very different into one room. I mean, isn't it amazing to think of the way that God brings people together? Um, Martin Luther has a great line here. He says, I clicked the wrong button. Here you go. He says this, May a merciful God preserve me from a Christian church in which everyone is good. I want to be in the church of the faint-hearted, the failed, the feeble, and the ailing who believe in the forgiveness of sins. It's so good. We have a gentleman that's been coming to church here for years, and, and I think I can share it with you because of where we're at this morning, but he has decided in his heart to go out and reach out to the homeless in our particular community. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in several of our, our services, we've had some of the homeless individuals in Truckee in the worship service with us. And man, it has been so good to see as they have sung and they, and they have rejoiced. And I have been so blessed to see how you, as part of our church family, have embraced these individuals without any weirdness or, or, or as if you're better than them. But I've seen so many of you shake their hands, hug them, welcome them in, give them a cup of coffee. It was really fun on Christmas Eve is one of those gentlemen was sitting up here on the left and he was engaging in the worship and, and, and here he is worshiping the Lord and, and we came to the end of the service where it was the candle lighting time and I, I lit the candles and I started passing them out and the next thing you know, the homeless guy pulls out his lighter and starts lighting a bunch of other people's candles, <laughs> which I loved. He was like, man, I got the light of the world. It's right here. I'm just going to start lighting candles. And then last week, Caleb, he got really emotional in worship because his wife was sitting up here near the front and, and she was singing and she raised her hands to worship Jesus and surrender and he saw her example and he followed suit. There's a great book I had to read when I was in San Diego by Jim Cimbala called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. In that book, Jim Cimbala talks about, and it's been years since I've read it, so if you've recently read it, forgive me for butchering it, but he talks about his church, I think it's in New York City, and at that time, there were thousands of people coming to church every week, including homeless people. And one week, he shares in that book how a homeless man came up to him and embraced him and hugged him because of the forgiveness of the sins in which Jim had preached that week. And Jim shares as he was hugging him, he could smell the urine and the homelessness on this man. He said he felt this, this kind of inside of him a, a wanting to, to withdraw 
But then as he hugged this man, he heard the Lord say, Jim, this is what it's like for me to embrace sinners. This is what it's like for me to embrace the broken. You see, Jesus takes all of us who were at one time spiritually homeless, just stenching of brokenness and sin, and then in his goodness and in his mercy, he brings us into one room, and he says, now be a family. You know what we're not? We're not a business. We're not an organization. We don't operate in a, in a way where we're creating widgets and we get more, more money for those said widgets. <laughs> we're a community of believers that, that, that we recognize that God is our Father and we are His children. Isn't that good? And then so Paul now says, okay, you're a family. And there's certain things he's saying in the family of God, certain things you've got to do that are good and certain things you have to avoid that are bad in the family. And he first talks about the men in the family. Paul tells Timothy specifically, now remember, Timothy's a young pastor. And as a young pastor, he says, Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him. So if you're a young man, this is what we're going to do this morning. If you're a young man, I get to talk to you directly from the Word of God. If you're an older man, I get to talk directly to you from the Word of God. Ladies, you are involved in that part of the conversation in the sense that you've got to hold some of these men accountable to what is, that God's about to say. And then in a few moments, I get to talk to you as a daughter of God or a mother of God and how all of these things work together. Now, I've been very blessed to have a pretty uh, a decent lengthy time in ministry. I started full-time ministry in San Diego when I was 21 years of age. I was a young man. I had, I'll be really honest with you, I had no place being in full-time ministry at 21. And I look back at 21, I think, why did anyone give me a Bible to teach out of? I was almost like a dangerous weapon. It's like handing a kid to a, four, uh, a gun to a four-year-old. Here, be safe with this. <laughs> man, I made a lot of mistakes. And I actually, uh, in the first service, and I'll do it in this one as well, just to give a, a public apology to Pastor Wayne because there were seasons when I moved back here that I spoke to the elders at that time in a way that was too harsh, too, just too angled, too, too obtuse. Because the Bible's saying to a young man, as a young man in ministry, as a young man to the, to the older men, you're to encourage them and then later it says that the older men are supposed to be like fathers to these young men. And this is what happens in a generational church. It's just, it's just a very natural thing, but this is typically what happens. Young men, typically if they're on fire for Jesus, they lack some of the maturity that is needed to deal with people of all ages. Right? They just want to see people get saved. They want to do ministry. They want to make it cool. They want to be passionate. And I, man, I can resonate with what that was like. And then what they see over here is the old man. And the old man sometimes is just kind of stuck in his ways. No, we're only going to sing hymns. We only need to preach out of a King James Bible. Right? They get stuck in their ways. And Paul knows this. And what he's telling Paul, uh, what Paul's telling Timothy is he's saying, listen, if you want to be a healthy church, you need young men to help shape the future of the church. So the Bible says, what, Bible, what Paul is telling Timothy is, value your young men. Value them to the extent that you're willing to bring them into leadership meetings. You're willing to bring around the church. You're willing to pour into them. You're willing to let them shape the future of the church. 
And then old men, and what happens, old men sometimes they get frustrated with the young men. Oh, you're just young. Do you know what one time, this is crazy. I just think it's hilarious. One time, there was a time where you could not, there, there was a generation that felt like you could not play the guitar in church. Did you know that? Yeah. See, you're all younger. Anybody who's older, you're like, I remember. There was, there was only one way you did worship, and it was with an organ. When I first moved here, we had an organ that sat right here. And it was well used. And, and what happened with it was so funny is when we started moving towards guitars and stuff, you can't, it's the organ. Do you, know, do you know why the church started using the organ? It's quite hilarious. They were very prevalent in bars. And the culture started loving the organ, and so the church all of a sudden said, we got to get the organ in here. And so they brought the organ in, and they loved it. And then one day, through generational uh, kind of thinking and, and, and just sticking to their traditions, someone eventually said, we can't play the guitar. How ridiculous is that? Several years back, we had a family get really upset with us because in Ray Hall, we used to have a bunch of scripture painted on the top of the roof, on the ceiling, like the edge of the ceiling. And it, the room needed to be updated, needed to be painted, so we painted over it, and the family got so upset, they said, they said how can you paint over the word of God? And I thought, as a young man, as a young man, I, I wanted to, and I probably did say some things that were rough. Like, you're dumb. That's dumb. That's what I wanted to say. And old men know that the older men in church, they, they do understand that inside of church, there's, there's nuance in the church. There's maturity that's needed. There's language that should be used that's a little softer. And I'm, to be honest, I'm still learning that. Still learning it. And, and the, the reality, though, is that the, that older man needs to come alongside of the younger man and father that younger man. What Paul is advocating for in the church is for sons to be in the church, to be valued, to be poured into, to be a part of the decision-making process. And he's saying at the same time, you need fathers who are going to be patient with younger men. You know, the reason we have so many younger people in our church is because we have older people in our church who were patient with the younger people. Do you know that? And after the service, Wayne said, you know, I probably owe you apology too because there was a few times in my heart, if I'm honest, where I said, you little twerp. He's in the back listening because he knows this is good. <laughs> the brothers, it says in Galatians, if anyone's in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him with a spirit of gentleness and keep watch over yourself. See, it's easy for young men to look down at younger men, and it's easy for younger men to be frustrated with older men, but what the church needs is for older men and younger men to work in unison. That we'd have father figures in the church and that we would have son figures in the church. And every church, every church has to determine at some point whether or not it will embrace its traditions or it will embrace its children. And sadly, many churches choose their traditions and they lose their children. One thing, as I've said time and time again, we never compromise the word of God. That maintains the same. It will be the same as long as I'm here. And if I'm, I'm not and I don't do it, kick me out. And as a church, you should only allow that which will be within this pulpit to be somebody who has a high value for God's word that doesn't change. 
But there's all kinds of fun ways we can be creative in how we evangelize and how we share and how we pour into people. And, 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 and sometimes, sometimes, you know, it's okay to paint a room. I don't know how many of you remember, do you remember this back wall used to be redwood? At some point, we decided we didn't want to live in the 70s anymore, so we took it down. And a few people, <gasps> it's not sacred. <laughs> it's not sacred. Let me add something to the young men in the room as well as the older men in the room that I think is important because it's touched upon to a certain degree in the context of widows, but I think it broadens a little farther than that. Look at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So there's, there's a rumor going around about millennials. Have you heard it? You're like, which one? <laughs> so first of all, let's value our millennials. This is what Scripture's saying. Let's value them. And all the millennials said, amen, is that... Who clapped for that? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. You're not a millennial. Oh, you're advocating for your daughter. Yay! Woohoo! You're good enough, smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like you. Um, <laughs> so there's all kinds of different, you know, things that people say about millennials. And, and here's the thing. The church should value the younger, but the church has a job to parent and help the younger to grow into maturation. In this particular context, it's Paul telling a young man, Timothy, to tell other men in his church, you are to work hard, earn a living, and provide for your family, even your extended family. One of the things my stepfather taught me was how to work hard. One of the things that Wayne has been an example of over the years is how to work hard. Wayne still is the first guy here at church every day, still to this day. And that's an example of diligence and security. You don't work so hard that you abandon the family because that's the opposite. Then you're not providing for them spiritually. But as a church, we must advocate in our very gender-confused nation, it is a good thing for a man to work hard. Did you know Jesus had calluses on his hands? He was a carpenter. He worked with a hammer. And we've got lost in this, this culture of you got to go to school and you got to make big money. What about just get your hands dirty a little bit? What about carpentry? What about the trades? Just provide for your family. We've lost that to a certain degree. And the Bible wants to redeem it because the Bible knows that there are certain ways that we're just better together. It's a good thing for a man to work hard. So we have, just to backtrack and highlight again a little bit, we've got the church that should value the younger, pour into the younger, allow the younger to speak into the next generation. I want more of that. Uh, Alexander Brunn was here in the first service. He's been hanging out the church a little bit more. Uh, and, and man, he's, he's, he played guitar last week. And it's just good for a young guy to be hanging out at church. I love it. I love just seeing our young people just hang out and absorb and learn from the other pastors. Go to lunch with us and hang out with us. I'm, I'm an old youth guy, so you can hear that in my heart. I love seeing young kids just hanging out at the church. It's such a good thing. 
So we've got young men, you've got father figures that, that need to be fathering in the church. And, and so here's the challenge. Young men, are you willing to be fathered by older men? And older men, are you willing to father some of the younger men? Right? Some of you who are older need to start looking around for the young guys and say, you know what? I want to have a cup of coffee with you. Well, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> Unless it's a soy latte. Because I'm a millennial. I don't know. I, I'm not. Fine. Let's go have avocado toast. Right? We go have some avocado toast. And we'll talk about Jesus. <laughs> Got to become all things to all people. Avocado toast. It's funny because it's true. Then it, then it, then, then, oh, man. Then, it, <laughs> oh, that is funny. That's good. I give myself credit for that. I just thought of that on the spot. That was pretty good. wasn't even in my notes. Um, man. Okay. <laughs> it's in all seriousness, if it takes avocado toast, do it. But then he highlights... For the women, the ladies. Now remember, it's Paul speaking to the young man, Timothy, and how to interact with women. And there is kind of a different language here that that speaks of older women as mothers and younger uh, women as sisters with all purity. And the Bible does say that older women in Titus, he actually says in Titus, uh, in telling Titus, Titus how to run his church, he says that older women should be reverent in their behavior. They should pour into the younger women and in doing so, they should teach younger women how to love their husbands, how to love their children, how to be self-controlled and pure, how to work at home. This, these are commandments that Scripture says it's a good thing to be a stay-at-home mom. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for a mom to learn how to love her kids and how to care for them. It's a good thing for a woman to know how to love her husband. And, and, and to be in the house and, and, and work with her hands, that's not a bad thing. And I know some women need to work, and in our culture, that's getting harder. But how cool would it be? How cool is it? How beautiful is it when we're able to value family to the way that Scripture does? You see, our culture is doing everything it can to tear this apart. You don't need to get married. Marriage is being pushed off. You don't need to wait to have sex. You do whatever you want. You know what? Don't have kids because kids, kids are hard, and they're expensive, and they are, but they're good. They're good. In fact, it tells us not only in addition to, to caring for the family and for women to care with inside of the family, he's telling young Timothy, he says, Timothy, as a man, you're to deal with women with purity. Not sexually. Not in a way that's inappropriate. See, what Timothy's doing is he's, he's being taught here by Paul that within the church, not only do young men matter and older men matter, but of course the women in the church matter, especially the young women in the church that they should be valued, that they should be dignified. I would argue that the Bible has the highest view of women in, than any other book in the history of mankind. It's so valued that it says things like, husbands, when you get married, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know what that means? Die for her. 
Women are so valued that Paul is telling Timothy, you're not, you're not to treat them in a sexual way. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me in our day and age is how much we have just exemplified and lifted up and, and elevated the, the, the greatness of women. You know, the first woman this and the first woman that and just valuing women. But then at the same time, it doesn't take long for you to be online to realize that women have never been more objectified than ever before. Just body parts. Just something to be consumed and used. Can I speak to you young men for a moment? And I'm sure many of this, uh, much of what I'm going to say will, will apply to older men as well. You're to see women in the church as your sister. There's a few things that you should avoid. As a young man who cares about what it looks like to proclaim the gospel in the church and in a dark community, in a dark world, you're to avoid the lusting eye and the lustful thoughts. Proverbs 6.25 says, Don't desire her beauty in her heart, and don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. That's all they had to worry about back in the Bible days, is eyelashes. My eyes are down here. <laughs> Avoid. <laughs> Stop laughing so much. I'm trying to preach. <laughs> Avoid. <laughs> Avoid the flirting talk. Proverbs 5.3, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip like honey. Avoid the alone time. This is specifically to those of you that are single and not married. Because that alone time in the Proverbs 7 account says this, I saw among the naive, I discerned among the youth, a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner, and he takes her away to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart. She is boisterous, rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She's in the streets. Now she's in the square. She lurks at every corner. You know that text, if you just change it and throw in the internet and Instagram and Twitter and all of these different online places, it is so easy for young men to have the objectification of women shoved down their throat. It's too easy. It's too easy for the darkness to, to be crouching there. It's at every corner. It's at every place. And the church can't avoid having this conversation, can it? We can't. It would be easy for me to say, you know, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to sexual things, the church shouldn't say anything. It's just too private. It's too... That's one of the reasons why we're losing the conversation in the culture. Because the Bible has a lot of things to say about purity and intimacy. It tells us to avoid certain touches in Proverbs 7, verse 13. To not feed the flesh, but to see women as valuable, as people who bear the image of God. That's how we treat our women in our church, amen? We value them. And we see them as important. We see them worth dying for. So let me ask another question, guys. Are you willing to get rid of some things in your life that are keeping you from seeing women the way that God sees them? Are there some places on your phone you shouldn't go anymore and you should delete? Are there search histories online that you need to get rid of? Are there places where you need to continually remind yourself 
wherever you go, that women are made in the image of God, that they're valuable to the Lord. One of the things that I'm a little bit envious of in all of the Gospels, as a guy, is all of the places where women were first. First at the cross, first at the tomb, first one to bathe Jesus' hair in perfume. Some of the first to be forgiven of radical sins. Women are so valued to Jesus. And then he ups the game. Paul's encouraging in the church again that we're a family of young men, sons, older men that are father figures, older women that are like mothers, and younger women that are like sisters. And then he tells us to care for those who have no family at all, who've lost their families, the widow. And he mentions this, this true widow, that a true widow is someone who, first of all, doesn't have any other family. He gives us some instructions on what a true widow, widow is and what a true widow isn't, that if she's out living it up, she shouldn't be cared for, but if she is, is serving the church and she doesn't have any other family, the church should intervene. But first of all, a widow should be cared for by her family. In fact, there was a thing in the tradition at this time, a thing called a dowry. And a dowry was literally uh, that, that moment where uh, the, the, the family would come and give to the daughter a sum of money, right? So Wesley and my sister in, are in service here, and now they're all embarrassed because I mentioned their name. And they're getting married in a few months' time, right? And uh, don't clap for them. Now, if we lived in this day and age, what would happen is Wesley, now that I'm, I'm really the main male in our family, because our father's passed away, Wesley would have to give me money to marry Lacey, which I'm strongly considering, by the way. <laughs> and the reason, the reason for that is so that if something happened to Wesley, I would be able to provide for my sister. That's what it's saying. It's saying you need to be able to have a family that's willing to provide, especially with a widow. In addition to that, in addition to that, it says if there is a younger widow and she's young, she should get remarried, even if she has kids, especially if she has kids. So the Bible advocates for young women to be married so that they can be cared for and they can be part of a family. I was thinking of this with my... Uh, my family background. Like I said earlier, my mom had me at 17 years of age. She got pregnant when she was 16. She dropped out of high school. So here's this young 17-year-old mother, and she's married to an alcoholic who is more abusive than I have time to even get into. She's been abused. She's been downtrodden. At a certain point, my mom said, enough is enough. She took this little baby boy that was me and moved out Man, I lived everywhere in Truckee. I lived in some of the beat-up apartments down by the high school. I, I lived in some of the, uh, the trailer parks. I even lived in a trailer for a period of time in Hirschdale Auto Wrecking Yard, for those of you who remember. And, 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 and in that little trailer, I remember, to stay warm, we would use a kerosene uh, uh, heater. Have you ever used a kerosene heater? It's a great way to stay warm and get high at the same time. <laughs> I mean, that, that we, we, were, we did not have a lot of money, we were poor, and all of a sudden, around the age of two, this man who had a huge beard and rode 
Harley-Davidson's and built old cars, decided to come into a relationship with my mom and this two-year-old boy, and they moved in together. Jesus isn't in the picture at the time, at least not that we can see. And then through a series of events, my mom decided to marry this man whose name was Dave. And I remember as they were getting married, the day they were getting married, I remember my mom coming to me and said, she said, Dave really would like it if you would call him dad. And this upset me. Because I still was under the delusion that my alcoholic father and my mom would still end up together. I was hoping and desiring it, so I didn't even want Dave to marry my mom. And then as years went by and Jesus got into the picture, Dave became my dad, and it became really easy for me to call him dad. And to this day, I can tell you quite honestly, he, he has been and is and was my father. Then I had the great privilege after my mom and dad decided, you know what? It's been 18 years. Let's have another baby. So my mom and my stepfather had Emily. It was my first sister, 18 years apart for me and her. And then four years later, Lacey. And so then I got to see how my dad treated my sisters who were literally his DNA, his biology. What I got to see was that my adoptive father loved me the same as he loved his own DNA children. Because spiritually, that's what I was to him. What would it look like for the entire church to love each other that way? What would it say to the community if we cared for each other in that way? How many of you realize Really and truly, we are family. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. You are my mothers, and you are my fathers. And over the years, all of you have played some kind of role in that. I think of Tammy Brimer when I first moved here. She smothered me (laughs) in a beautiful way. Wayne has been a father. At times, I've been a bad son. But that's part of being part of a church family that is imperfect. But it is a beautiful thing when we do it right. So as the team comes up, I just want to pray for us that God would mold us and shape us to be the family of God that he wants us to be. And when I see you here on a Sunday and I say, man, it's so good to see you, I mean it. And you know what I love? I love how even still now, I'm seeing new people come into church, new families coming into the church that all get to be a part of the greater family. That excites me. And those of you who are online, it excites me to see that you're starting to engage, starting to to worship the Lord in a way that you haven't before. And I I sense in some, some of those who are online, I can tell they're starting to get ready to come back. They can feel God's drawing. They can feel God's pulling because you are not intended to be alone. That was not the design. And one day, 
One day, we will all rejoice in perfect intimacy without the mar of sin in heaven. You looking forward to that? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And uh, Wesley, looking for that paycheck, okay? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, Lord, we honor you as Father. You are our ultimate dad. I know some of us have a hard time relating to you in that way because our families were so broken. But I would ask that you would give those individuals who have that sense a peace of mind that you're the perfect father, that you love us regardless of us. You love us in the midst of our pain. You love us in our isolation. You love us in our sin. You love us in our brokenness. And you are continually pulling us closer to yourself and away from those things that harm us. You're the good father that disciplines us. You're the great father who encourages us. You're the amazing father who gives us a new identity and a new name. I pray we leave here with a higher opinion and a higher value of you. And I pray, Lord, that you would move in such a way that we would value one another as we ought, that we would be a great family of sons, fathers, daughters, mothers. We trust you to do that work, which we know we cannot do on our own. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Jesus first called his disciples friends, and after his resurrection, he called us brothers and sisters and taught us the name of God as our Father. As we go out this week, let's hold Psalm 62.6 in our hearts, remembering that Jesus is our rock, our salvation, our refuge, and with him we will not be shaken. Build my life. Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy There is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around.
sing that again. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy, there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your love and lead me in your love to those around me and I will build my life Upon your love, it is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken, and I will build my life upon your it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me jesus the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. We live for you. We live for you. Go out this week, live for Jesus, and let his light shine through you to our neighbors and friends in this world. We love you. See you next Sunday.